Welcome to the Good Dog Pod. Every Wednesday, we discuss all things dogs, from health and veterinary care to training and behavior science. Follow us and join Good Dog's mission to build a better world for our dogs and the people who love them. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of the Good Dog Pod. I am Dr. Michael Delgado, your host, and I am here today with Dr. Shadi Irefish. He is a veterinarian who received his DVM from Cornell. After that, he did rotations at the Angel Animal Medical Center in Boston. So probably a lot of my East Coast people know all about that place. And he also worked at the Long Island Veterinary Specialists before receiving his board certification in small animal surgery. Dr. Rayfedge then headed to the western side of the country in 2016, where he worked in Las Vegas, Silicon Valley, and then finally landed in Los Angeles, City of Angels. In all of his practices, he focused on emergency veterinary care and specialty care, which I think made him especially suited for where he's ended up now. So in 2020, Dr. Rayfedge founded a company called Vet Triage, which allows pet parents to connect virtually with a veterinarian. 24 7, 365 days a year, for what I would say is a very reasonable fee. Dr. E. Rayfidge currently serves as the Chief Medical Officer at Vet Triage, and I'm super excited to talk to him today to learn more about this service, his company, and how teletriage can help pet parents. So, Dr. E. Rayfidge, thank you for being here today at the Good Dog Pod. Thank you for having me. This is very exciting. Great. Well, I always like to learn a little bit about kind of what makes my guests tick, their background. So maybe you can tell us a little bit about how you ended up as a veterinarian who was focused on surgery and emergency care. Because sometimes I hear from veterinarians, they don't like surgery or they you know, don't like emergency care, like kind of takes a certain maybe personality to kind of gravitate towards that. So maybe tell us a little bit about how you ended up there. Yeah, I definitely think it's a personality attribute. Why folks would choose something like surgery, which is very hands-on, could be high risk versus something more like dermatology or internal medicine where you're in your head a lot and not so much hands-on per se. I like the thought that I can intervene, medically speaking, in a pet's care and physically fix the problem, like right then and there in real time, fix the issue and pretty much within some boundaries, predict what the outcome is going to be. You sort of know how they're going to heal. And it all depends really on your hands, which is the known part of all that. And then the unknown, which is how the patient's individual body is going to respond. So I've always been interested in that aspect of the profession. I like all the aspects, but the hands-on fix it right then and there really appeals to me. Okay. A little bit of like, you need some interest in adrenaline to kind of handle the emergency care coming through the door. Yes, some of it is very much like that. It's a rush. Time is of the essence. This pet is not going to make it unless you jump in right now. And there are others that are elective procedures that you're trying to fix a fairly mild ailment. Either way, the goal is the same, right? Improve the quality of life, take care of disease and trauma. So you get immediate satisfaction from that as a surgeon. Cool, cool. Okay, well, I want to jump right into vet triage because it's a idea that really I hadn't even considered until 2020 is when the coronavirus pandemic started. And that's also when you founded vet triage. I don't know if that was a coincidence. So yeah, was this a direct response to what was going on with the pandemic? Or were there other reasons that you felt the time for teletriage for pet owners had arrived? It was not induced by the pandemic. I had realized maybe close to a decade ago, working in ER specialty, the front desk staff, the receptionist would receive hundreds of calls every 24 hours of people asking, do I have to come in? Do I have to come in? And our answer in the profession for decades has been, if you're worried, come in, we'll just see you. 
And I thought, well, what if you took those pet owners who weren't really sure, who want confirmation, maybe they don't have a car to drive to the ER, maybe it's the middle of the night and they don't drive at night, maybe it's financial, maybe the dog is aggressive, the cat is feral, whatever it is, you kind of don't want to go unless you really have to, but you would go if you really had to. And I thought, why not make that a business model? And that was, I mean, that was a decade ago that I thought about that. Then I started working on this project with some seriousness about seven or eight years ago, working first on legal ethical boundaries to it as well as the technological aspects and just developed it over time. We actually ended up really doing like a soft launch at the end of 2019 with just me and just to see kind of where the bugs are and then a full launch early 2020 before the pandemic was a discussion point. And then now, of course, we all know, but it was not induced by the pandemic at all. In fact, I hadn't even thought about calling it telemedicine or telehealth or anything Mm. when I was developing. I just thought, you would just talk to a veterinarian over the phone right. and that would be it. That's the entire business. Plan. <laughs> it, it evolved to this like massive thing now where we're 24 seven, all video, only doctors on staff, any species globally. It's amazing. I mean, even thinking back, cause you know, I've had pets my entire adult life and I can tell you that I was one of those people that called the veterinary hospital several times. Like my cat was having difficulty urinating. Is this an emergency? I don't know. Like you said, I didn't want to bring him in if it wasn't an emergency, but if it was, I certainly wanted to bring him in. And the receptionist staff, they can't diagnose, you know, so they always said, well, just bring him in. You know, that was always kind of the set answer. And then, of course, you know, in the emergency practice, you can sometimes wait for hours for absolutely good reasons. But yeah, I didn't want to be a clog in the system either. And I'm an anxious pet parent. So I always would kind of err on the side of paying for peace of mind. <laughs> you mentioned the reasonably priced aspect too, which I appreciate because the way I see it is you either pay a fairly small fee to get peace of mind and knowing that your pet does not have a medical emergency and you can know what to do at home and what to look out for until you can make a regular appointment. Or if it is an emergency, you pay that small fee to at least now know, okay, I should go in. I'm about to commit hundreds, maybe thousands of dollars on emergency, but at least now I know I had a doctor tell me this is worth going in for. And so really, regardless of the outcome, it's beneficial for that fee. We know that 80 to 82% of these cases end up not being emergency. So the chance in your favor, you will not have to go in anyway. And that fee becomes even more priceless to you. 80%. Yeah. And that is a consistent number. We've looked wow. at data on our end from academics like Cornell University and University of Minnesota have partnered with us all the way to rescue organizations like SPCA or to your standard clinics, whether they're small or large, 24-7, whatever. It's across the board, fairly consistent in the low 80s is wow. a percentage of cases that are not emergencies. Do you know, and this is like a total side note, but just from like a data perspective, because we know in human medicine, right? Like a lot of people end up in the ER because they don't have a primary care physician. Is that also true of veterinary ER where these are folks that don't have a regular relationship with a veterinarian? Is that a fairly consistent number or not I so would much? actually say somewhere around a quarter to a third of our clients don't have a family veterinarian because okay. most of them because they just moved to a new area. Uh, yeah. The other, let's say 70% have a family veterinarian, but the reason why they're approaching us or going to the emergency room is because their veterinarian is closed. It's after hours or a holiday or whatever. We are seeing more and more, especially since the pandemic, but where we call a daytime overflow where the GP is booked, they're open. They just can't fit you in. Your options are either virtual or go to the ER. But most cases they're coming to us because their family veterinarian is closed after hours. Great. The super interesting information. I mean, you don't really think about like, and it's all a ripple effect, right? I mean, we also know that since the pandemic, a lot of people have a hard time actually making an appointment to see 
a veterinarian, especially if they're a new client, you could wait weeks or even I've known people that had to wait months to see like a cardiologist. So yeah, it really highlights how important emergency services are as kind of a band-aid, but also like why what you're offering could be a huge just relief to the entire system, the way it's set up. So I think it's really cool. And a lot of our clinic partners aren't even accepting new patients anymore. They're done. So if you already are established with them, it's already taking weeks to months to make a regular appointment. If you don't have a veterinarian in that area, you may not be able to get one. That's scary. That's really scary. Can you tell me a little bit about how vet triage works? So do you only work on like veterinary clinic referral or can anybody call? Do they have to be a member? Like, can I just get on your website and get in right away? What would someone expect who's new to your service? Any pet parent can access us. In the beginning, when we were fairly new in this. We had people off the street, basically. So folks would just find us looking for a virtual vet. And now easily 75%, maybe more now are coming from clinics, rescues or academic sites that have partnered with us. Partnering with us is free for the establishment. We're here to help the vet community and pet parents pay us directly. So whether the pet parent is coming off the streets, just finding us on Google or word of mouth, or they're coming from their family practice or the emergency room or the university or the rescue, it's the same process thereafter. We'll see anybody. You don't need a referral. There's no subscription. It's pay as you need us. $50 regardless of the duration that you spend with the doctor, regardless of species, where you're calling from, if the holidays, a weekend, what time it is, doesn't matter. That price stays the same. That doctor is yours. And we also are up to maybe 27, 28 different species, different animal types now. So everything from squirrels to fish to horses, dogs and cats, we've seen a lot. And that's across 13 or 14 different countries too. Wow. Obviously, the majority of our pets are dogs and cats, SPS, and the majority of our clientele come from the U.S. and Canada, but still, the spread is pretty amazing. That's so cool. And let's talk about, I think we've kind of already touched on this, but what are the advantages of these triage services, both for the pet parents, but also for the veterinary community? So for the pet parent, you have the obvious aspects to it, like convenience. It's fairly low cost. You don't have to go anywhere. You can look at your pet in its natural environment not after a car ride, then a lobby, and then the vet clinic. So all those are positive attributes to the pet parent. And of course, the most important thing really is access to care, peace of mind. That's really what we're trying to talk about here on the pet parents. The veterinary side is interesting because our overarching goal really is to help the veterinary community. We want to be able to give veterinarians and vet technicians and receptionists and kennel staff, everybody involved in the team, a decent quality of life. You want to be able to love your job again. And we've seen a gradual decline in this culture for at least two decades. We've all seen it. The pandemic certainly accelerated the deterioration of that culture, but it was going to happen. It just happened faster with the pandemic. And so that's our overarching goal is to help the veterinary community. The way it helps them is we offload all the pressure they're feeling. They don't have to feel as though they can't help their clients, their pet parents. They can give them an option. Besides just going automatically to the emergency room, which also is backed up, but they can choose virtual and get a video with a veterinarian. So it's a high quality type of service. So by doing that, we can hopefully lower your compassion fatigue, decrease your turnover rates, try to mitigate those really negative aspects, suicide rates, right? These are things that are absolutely horrible and we never heard of before. And now all of a sudden it's commonplace to talk about it. So we feel if you can decrease the workload, to that clinic 
and allow the staff to focus on their day as planned, mm-hmm. it'll help with their professional quality of life, help yeah. with hiring, help with turnover, help with your whole emotional, mental health, right? That's yeah. the key. So the culture. Ultimately, that sums up to the veterinary culture. We fix it. On the ER side of things, if we can play basically traffic controller, only let those pets in the building that are truly critical, really sick, that need that level of care. The 80% plus that don't need that level of care, let's try and treat it at home, offer monitoring advice, and then get you back to your family veterinarian when they can see you again as a regular appointment, but so we can de-escalate the situation. So it all works together when folks utilize our services that way. That's great. Tell me a little bit about, so the veterinarians who work for you, who's answering the phone at three in the morning? And like, where do you find veterinarians to work these shifts, be part of your team? What's kind of cool, but also sort of embarrassing is that we've never, since day one, we've never advertised for veterinarians to apply. I am sitting on over 200 resumes of veterinarians who want to work for the company. Not once, not once have we reached out to any veterinarian. Wow, that's amazing. And it speaks to the culture. Yep. That's really what it is. It wasn't an aspect of, oh, well, I've always been interested in telemedicine. Now here's the way you do it. It's I'm sick of brick and mortar. I need to find something else. Yep. And they end up finding virtual. Wow. So we've never had a problem hiring. As of right now, we oscillate around 30 vets at any one time who work for us. Some have schedules, some work like an Uber type model, whatever mm-hmm. fits their life because we want to promote quality of life. That's awesome. I hire, give or take three to five vets a month, roughly speaking, which is infuriating if you're listening to this and you own a brick and mortar facility because they can't hire anybody. And I just sit back and we just get resumes constantly through my inbox. So we've never really tried to look for vets. Now, the vets that we do hire, I'm a bit picky. I interview all of them. I'm looking for a certain caliber of veterinary experience. Mm -hmm. They have to be able to make sound judgments fairly quickly on video. And you lose a tactile aspect of that. You have to learn how to maneuver the client so they can use their eyes, their ears, their hands to figure out whether there's an emergency or not. They have to have a certain level of experience. A lot of them are either emergency doctors board certified specialists like myself, or they are experienced general practitioners who have owned and operated or sold practices before. Yeah. So they've seen a lot of things coming through their doors. Yes, they have to. You know, medicine really, when you boil it down, it's really pattern recognition. Have you seen the same thing play out over and over again sufficiently enough to say that's probably what this is. And this probably is what's going to happen. That's prognosis. That's what veterinarians, that's what doctors do. You need a lot of experience to be able to get that comfort level. Great. We are here with Dr. Rafej from Vet Triage, and we will be right back. Good Dog hosts monthly webinars with canine health experts, including Dr. Robert Hutchison, Dr. Marty Greer, and many more. Access all of these past webinars and stay up to date on upcoming webinars by following the link in the show notes. And we're back here at the Good Dog Pod. Today's guest is Dr. Shadi Rafej. He is the chief medical officer at Vet Triage, which offers basically teletriage services for pet owners. We're going to continue our interview. So I would love to know why people are calling. Like, what are the most common kinds of questions that come through your video service? Like, is this my dog got into something or my cat fell off a shelf or what are the issues that people are coming to you with? There's two different categories to this answer. One is why they're doing it, meaning why are they not reaching out to a brick and mortar? And a lot of them do try that first and they just don't have access to them. So the basic reason is we just don't know where to go. All the brick and mortars, no one's talking to us. 
And so we're contacting you. But medically speaking, the reason why folks see us, there's a top five list. And we know this through our data. And this is fairly similar to everything out there that's virtual in the vet field. Number one is gastrointestinal problems. You're vomiting, diarrhea, not eating. The second most common reason are urinary, peeing everywhere in the house, peeing frequently, bloody urine, strains to urinate. The third after that is skin disease. So hair loss, a rash or whatever, flare up of allergies, sometimes two and three swap, depending on the data points. And number four and five, it becomes down to hospice care and uh, behavioral issues. Mm -hmm. Things like there's fireworks happening right now, thunderstorms, or they're about to happen, we want to be prepared, or we have to fly on a plane, or we have to drive to the vet clinic, what can I use to calm my pet down? And then hospice care, the end of life, how do I know when it's time? Some folks contacted us, their pet already passed, and they're looking for closure. Oh, wow. Yeah, they just want to talk to somebody who's a veterinarian. So that's our top five. But those top three soar above number four and five for sure. No, that makes sense. And that's great that you have that data too, right? Because that can really inform what you need to do and what to expect. So that's really cool. You touched on this a little bit, but let's talk about, I mean, I think we've all heard a lot about, we know there's like a veterinarian crisis right now. There's a lot of mental health issues facing veterinarians. We've got this kind of never-ending backlog of patients seeking care, can't get into the vet. So what are the biggest challenges facing veterinary medicine right now? Boy, this is a huge passion of mine. And the reason why it is is because you have to start hitting this problem at the vet school level. You can't wait till they graduate and then try to get their first job, right? Because once they enter their first job, the cultural toxicity is already there. And so you have to educate the young people when they're in veterinary school, maybe even before veterinary school, if they're thinking about a career in this, they have to at least know what they're getting themselves into. Sure. Medically, of course, but also really on the floor, culturally speaking. So the biggest crisis we have can really be summed up with the culture. We have a cultural problem. It's a cultural crisis. It's where the poor quality of life at the workplace is affecting veterinarians and veterinary staff members is across the board. It's affecting them negatively, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, whatever, physically, whatever it is. And you can't have that. Yeah. Sure, it's a career. It's a passionate career. Of course, you've spent your entire life in school to get to this point. No career is worth the sacrifice of your physical, mental, spiritual, emotional status. No career is worth that. Then you've got to change gears or change the profession itself. So we're trying to make the argument that if we can offload the stress on veterinary staff members, and improve their professional quality of life, and they can see what it truly means to have a positive culture in the workplace, to be able to attract more new grads who can then actually enjoy their profession, to join the chosen career, and then have a longevity in this field, retire as veterinarians, you know? And so what you're seeing right now is veterinarians, they graduate, they get their first job, they can't stand it because there's a cultural problem there. And the way the generations work, millennials and then soon Gen Zs, they're like, all right, I'm just not going to do it. I'll just do something else. Despite they're in quarter million dollars of debt after vet school and spent 30 years in school, they just won't do it. Done. They'd rather have a job that's fulfilling to them and not toxic, even though it's a huge pay cut and they can't use their degree and they have debt. So we need to fix the culture. And that's the bottom line. That's easier said than done, right? I compare culture to GPA in college. It's very easy to make that GPA go down, to plummet. Very hard to make it go back up. Culture is the same way. It's very hard to keep it positive. And once it's there, it requires an intense amount of maintenance just to keep it there. But the second it goes negative, it falls hard. 
And so that's the struggle you have. Yeah, I did my postdoctoral research at the School of Veterinary Medicine at UC Davis. And when I was there, they implemented mental health counseling for vet students. Mm -hmm. And it was immediately overbooked. I think people didn't think anyone was going to take advantage of it. But it was like, so apparent that the need was there and that there actually needed more help than could even be provided. When I talk to um, to veterinary students, I just gave a talk maybe a month or two ago to University of Michigan, Michigan State University vet school. And their questions were not even medical related. It was how do I maintain a healthy mental disposition when I graduate? And then the second question is, how do I handle lawsuits? And I'm thinking, sure, valid questions. What the hell? Why are you asking me this? You're a second, third, fourth year. They're not asking me how do you diagnose a paralyzed dog? (laughs) What do you do to treat internal bleeding? They're like, how do I protect my license and how do I maintain quality of life? Yeah. This is sad. It's relevant, but it's so sad. It's so sad. Yeah. And those of us who are not veterinarians, but rely on them, like to me, my veterinarian is a very precious resource and I don't want anything to happen to them. So like, it's distressing from the outside to hear about it too. So, you know, you started your company, you know, I know obviously the seeds of your company have been in place for a long time, but you launched it just a few years ago. Where do you see teletriage going in the future? So we're trying to strive for what I consider the gold standard, right? Which is what you want out of medicine. You always want the gold standard, the gold standard. And so for me, the ideal way of performing teletriage or telehealth to any degree is you need doctors of veterinary medicine in charge of it. You need to have it to be video. You need to be versatile. You got to figure out the cybersecurity measures. Mm-hmm. You have to figure out the different internet that people have, right. different skill set that people have for technology, different devices. iPhones versus uh, Android, tablets, desktop, laptop. Can you do this on the road, et cetera? There's all that. That's a huge conversation on its own. So I think the way it's going to go is you're going to have two very different categories of telehealth. You're going to have those that are not video, which you already see that texting or email or phone calls. And then you've got the what I consider the gold standard, which is video. Now, where this is going to go is you need to eventually implement this in a brick and mortar facility, because our goal is not to replicate the brick and mortar experience or quality of care online. That's impossible. We can't do surgery. We can't get vaccines. We can't do stuff. So you got to figure out a way to, so I think that the urgent care model, I call the hybrid model where you have the telehealth aspect of it, utilize that in a way to figure out what clients, what pets you're going to see at that urgent care. The cases you have to see that urgent care have to fit your lane Otherwise, your urgent care just becomes another general practice or another ER hospital. And then you end up with the same problems that you have anyway right now. Staffing, culture, wait times, hours of work, etc. So that's where it's going to go. It's going to go with the hybrid model. And we actually have already been in deep discussions with many folks who are fairly innovative that want to basically beta test this level of practice. It hasn't become an official mainstream yet. I've been advocating for the televeterinarian to be intimately involved with brick and mortar since our launch. And now we're starting to see folks who want to take a stab at this and they're using vet triage for that. That's awesome. So at Good Dog, we are focused on supporting dog breeders. And a lot of our breeding community, they might live in an area where there's not an emergency hospital for literally hours of driving. Do you see vet triage as a good option for some of those breeders who might have questions during the whelping process or with their neonatal puppies? Yeah, we get a good number of calls from folks who don't know if, is she in labor? Mm-hmm. Is this normal? We were expecting eight puppies. There's only three and this much time has passed. She's acting this way or whatever, or neonatal care. Yep. All the puppies are good. Mom is good. But one of them now looks a little bit off or whatever it is. It's very, very useful because you're trying to decide as a breeder, 
do I need a C-section? That's what they care about. Is this an emergency? Do I need a C-section or not? And so we can absolutely help. There are some fairly stringent guidelines. All veterinarians know this, that we try to follow. There's always exceptions depending on the case, but absolutely, absolutely. Great. That's wonderful. All right. Well, as we start to wrap up, I like to ask people just kind of a fun question. And for you, the question is, if you could be any breed of dog, which would you choose? So I've always, always, always loved German Shorthair Pointer. Nice. They are just elegant looking. Mm -hmm. They're very smart. They're super loyal. You know, dogs get a reputation for being very in your face, in your face, just constantly, you know, I want attention, which is great. It's why we love them. Yeah. I like German Shorthair Pointers because they keep that a moderate level. They're not in your face, but they're not apathetic like cats can be. They have just the right amount of, I need you, but I'm good if you're like, (laughs) So I, I really like German Shore points. I think they're just stunning looking. They're very smart. They're loyal. They pay attention. So that's my answer for that okay. one. You like healthy, elegant, smart. Beautiful dogs, yeah. really. Just you know, nice. But they are hunters. They are working dogs. And so you can't really lead a lax lifestyle with them. They need to be worked. Sure. They want to do stuff. So you have to balance. Does that match your lifestyle? Excellent point. Well, I really love what you're doing with Vet Triage and I'm all about innovation. And I think we need more forward thinking people like you to really advance what we're doing to provide care for our pets. I mean, really, it's all about the animals, right? Like that's why we're all doing what we're doing because we love animals. But I just love seeing new ideas and really pushing the boundaries of what we're doing, but also solving huge problems. So thank you for doing what you do. You know, I think it's amazing. And I really hope that you continue to grow and have influence in the industry because I think it's super important. Thank you very much. There's a lot of work that goes into this. It's a 24-7 gig. I've got a massive team behind me that make this happen. It's not easy. And we are spearheading the movement. We've got to be able to figure out how can we push the boundaries that currently exist, but also show ethically, responsibly that some of these boundaries we have are stupid and outdated, (laughs) really. And so we're not just helping with access to care and the culture, we're spearheading up a televeterinarian movement. That's great. And I think maybe the pandemic helped in that finally, like some of the laws around whether or not you had to physically touch the animal were altered to accommodate. So hopefully that kind of opened some doors despite everything else. So finally, where can people learn more about vet triage? Let us know like where to follow you or where your website is. Yeah. So obviously vettriage.com. It's V-E-T-T-R-I-A-G-E.com. That's got synopsis of how we operate and of course, how to purchase a session. You can find uh, Vet Triage on Instagram. Vet Triage also has a YouTube channel as well. We develop some educational videos there. I have my own Instagram, dr.shaddy.arafage on Instagram. And also same name at YouTube, Dr. Shaddy Arafage on YouTube. And you can use those resources to your liking. But all of our social media platforms interconnect, obviously. We're trying to push this on multiple levels. So feel free to dive in and see some cool posts and follow us, subscribe, do all the things. Awesome. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you for having me. This is absolutely fantastic. Thank you.